These special editions of the podcast are brought to you in association with Red Army Bet. We all follow United. Welcome to the latest podcast. We've done 500 kilometres now. We've been on the road for five days and um, this podcast shouldn't be as rushed as the first one. We would stop very briefly. Um, we thank our sponsors, Meadows Gin, for supporting us on, on this trip. And I spoke and introduced people who, who were on the trip initially. And one of them was my brother Sam. And Sam was at United as a kid. And what was it like when you find out that Manchester United are interested in you? Yeah, it's buzzing. Because at the time, Stockport were in, Stockport were in such a mess. Um, and they were, we got told at the training session that you know, they were scrapping the youth. So we were, we were only, I don't know, 14, 15, 16. And I'd only been there since I was under 13s. And uh, it was my first club, proper club. And I'd played with other decent players at school and they'd always said that, you know, you should be at a club. I eventually got in at Stockport. Played well for the first couple of years. The Who managed... told you about United? Well, it was Mick Meakin and the Mick Wibbling. Mick Wibbling was the head of the youth there. So they told us on the same night that the youth had collapsed, that they ran out of funding, wasn't going to progress, and then they took me and four other lads aside and said United want to take us four for a trial match. So, you know, it was a high and a low. So I went to the trial game, absolutely smashed it, scored two goals. In that trial game, I knew some of the coaches at United and they said, why have you not told us about your brother? And you'd stood out a lot in that game you're 14 years old you're yeah. playing at Carrington what's it like for a young player being at Carrington yeah it was a buzz because major major thing was dad dad was there so he just spurred me on and just said give it your all it was pissing it down on the first game and I just loved playing in the rain you know get stuck in and I just knew and I played against some centre backs that I'd already knew before and I thought I'm miles better than you two so I played them off the park to be fair to myself scored the two and I got injured in that game but that was enough for me to get a trial so I did the trial, um, played all right through the trial, scored a few goals, scored against Villa, um, but because I was still contracted to Stockport, Stockport wanted 75k for me and I just wasn't that good. Um, fizzled out, Stockport got money back in, carried on at Stockport and got a pro there. But yeah, to play for United, do that trial was mint. But the lads, the lads at United, they were just a close bunch, so it was hard to sort of get in, do you know what I mean? Did any of them make it? Wasn't Nick Barnby's son Nick Barnby the star player, Jack Barnby? Yeah, but he was, in my opinion, he was no good. He was just overrated and probably because it was Nick Barnby's son, he was, you know, he was all this, all that. But he became a pro of Portland Timber in, in the second team. Did any of the other lads make it? Yeah, a lad, a lad called Ben... I can't remember his name. Ben, ben something, centre mid, but he was tiny, small, but he was by far the most gifted player there and he's still playing now. And a lad called Joe Rothwell, he's at... Blackburn, I think he is. Blackburn, he's doing really well. Great lad. So you did a, a seven-week trial at United. At the end of that, the club say that they don't want you. When you get rejected, how did he tell you? Well, Derek, did he tell you or, to, or did he tell told, a parent? Told me and my mum. Um, went in with Derek Langley. Just told me straight. Just said, look, this is the money that Stockport are in. Stockport are asking. I'm not willing to pay. Said, if you're on the free, then yeah, we'll take you on. But... It's just not the chance we want to take. And to be honest, I took it as a massive confidence boost because I went to United, you know, I had the trial and I was going back to Stockport and I was thinking, you know, I, 
I can play there. I'm good. I was good enough. So, in a way, it was a confidence boost, to be honest. And, and then you, you went back to Stockport. You got offered a, a one-year professional contract. Yeah, yeah, I got offered the one-year pro. I was still playing at school. Um, in the last year of school, we had a great school side. Loved playing for probably most my most enjoyable years playing for football was at school with the lads I played for there because we had a lot of success. And I did my cruciate when I was 16 in my last final for school at Carrington as well. Um, and I was out for two years and that's probably... That probably did me really. Yeah, it's killed me. Still paying for it now. So my knees sore after riding the bike all these days. Ooh. So you you you're days into a professional contract, so you're just about to start it, and you've done your cruciate ligament. Yeah, done my cruciate. So I didn't know I'd done it at the time. Went back to do pre-season. Started running. I was a lot fitter than the other lads there. Why did you not know you ruptured your because, cruciate ligament? Because I'd not had proper. I'd had assessments on it, and um, when you rupture your cruciate ligament, it's hard to sort of assess in the way I'd done mine because my knee felt fine until I kicked a ball because it was so you feel like you've lost all your strength in your leg when you go to kick it your, your knee just goes but I could still run I was out running the lads there that, that were physically fine do you know what I mean so then I had to go in I had keel and when he went in and see my knee my, my ligament was just non-existent so you'd started your life as a professional footballer age 16 with a ruptured cruciate ligament that you didn't know about yeah yeah killed me just just absolutely just just that rumour to be honest and then I just sort of seen my ass with everything to be honest at the time what do you mean you were not were you not training properly were you because I was just in the gym I was in the gym trying to keep fit I wasn't kicking a ball or anything it was just disheartening I could only kick a ball on my left foot got good with my left foot but you know what I mean and I come back too fast when I come back and play my first game against Rochdale and scored Meg the keeper but you just that you just don't want to. You just you're miles behind everyone else because you're not playing for two years. It's just disheartening because I knew I was a lot better than everyone else there at the time. Some of the older pros at Stockport <coughs> took a bit of a shine to you. I know Martin Gritton was one of them. Did they try and lift your spirits a bit? They did. Yeah. Before I did my cruise, I trained with the the first team quite a few times, and I was very quick. And um, I remember a few of the first team lads that were coming back from injury training with us, the youth team. And I used to run rings around them and they didn't really know about the youth team. And I'd just come back from United and my confidence was really high and they were like, oh, you know, who's this kid? Blah, blah, blah. And I remember when um, Gary Ablett was there, before he died, he was a great man. Um, he come and watch me a good few times playing for the youth team and scored some great goals while he was watching. And I knew a lot of things were being said. Um, but did, did Gary speak to you? Because the, the disease which Gary had was non-Hodgkin's lymphoma, which is actually what our dad had as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He spoke to me a couple of times just you know after the game as a young lad. Just used to come over and say, "Well done, son. You've done really well today." You know stuff like that. Just just boost you, and then you go home, or you go over and speak to dad or your mum, and say, "You know, first thing Gaffer just spoke to me and said that you you proper boss and go home and." Buzzing as a 15, 16-year-old lad, you've just scored two top goals in front of the first-team manager. Nothing better, no better feeling. And then, because you're injured all the time, that coincides with Stockport County going into a tailspin. They go down the divisions, they go into non-league, they, all the youth players get released. And you, Were you on the scrap heap at 17? Yeah, on the scrap heap, and Jim Gallon didn't take a liking to me. He, he was pretty... Jim Gallon was sort of had his players who he liked and that was it. Even when I'd sort of seen my arse at it, I still had talent. So we were training with the first team when I had my pro and if I wanted to turn it on, I t- used to turn it on and 
say embarrass some of his what he thought was his better players and they weren't that good he just he never used to like me and after that I just sort of fell out of love with it for a bit that was it really to be honest so why didn't you drop down into semi-pro football most of your family have played semi-pro football or were you just disheartened and were you thinking how am I going to earn a living yeah that was it to be honest and mainly I thought I was I could get a career in something else while I'm an electrician now so I thought it's better. I can earn better money than playing, you know, just playing semi-pro. And I knew my knee was not what it should have been at my age. And now? And now, yeah, my knee's my knee's knackered now. I can only last about 50, 60 minutes. So now you split up front. I've not got my pace, what I used to have. I've still got the brain, but that's why I want to play, you know, either in defensive middle or whatever. Can't play up front. No chance I can play up front anymore. But you're all right to cycle hundreds of kilometres? Yeah, because I'm a machine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Still got a brain. Yeah. What What was your your lowest point then in that fledgling career? Which at fourteen you you showed an awful lot of promise, and then eighteen you you nowhere. Lowest point was definitely playing under Gannon when we had our pros. It was me and a couple of other lads, but I was definitely at the bottom of the bunch just because. Um, mainly my attitude towards training and turning up and thinking I was never ever going to get in the team because of Gannon but it's probably myself as well to blame but um, so motivation's gone yeah motivation was gone I had no one motivating me so I was just how much were you paid? Was on, we were paid about 400 quid a month something like that yeah as a as a youth as an apprentice which was a big dough back then when you were 17 and you were just getting paid to play football. So I'd just turn up to training, go in the edge of the park and just getting paid. But I just fully seen my arse with it. <coughs> were United professional with you in your dealings with them? Very, very professional. They were such a major jump from going from Stockport to United. Everything's just like, you had, everything was provided for you. All your kits, your boots, you had to wear black boots. And like... Some of the some of the players that were there, there were different players every week, like from different countries and stuff. Because they had a lot of trialists. Oh, just yeah, but some of them, and the way the the coaches were, but the coaches were well favoured towards certain players, towards like your Barnbys and stuff like that. Because he was a star of the age group. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, he used to put gel in his hair and wear his white boots. He was the only one that was allowed to wear white boots. Really? Yeah. And you were supposed to wear black boots because black they were less showy. Yeah. I remember one game played at the cliff and uh, I was playing up front. Bambi was playing the wing and um, I went over once to do a one-two. He had like three guys on him. Went over to do a one-two with him and I got absolutely bollocked by the gaffer and brought me off just for going over because I dragged an extra man over you know, instead of trying to do a one-two. So he thought he could take three men on. Just stuff like that. Why, why, so why, so why? At, at 14, <laughs> you, you're at Man United and doesn't really work out Whereas your other brother, Jonathan, wasn't with any club when he was younger and ended up playing for... How, how many clubs did you play for? Can you, <coughs> can you name them all? I'm just trying to work out the timeline now. I think the timeline was... I started off at Flixton under, under Al McGreevy, who gave me my debut um, away against Neverfield Kendall in the Unibond. Um, and then I think I stayed stayed the rest of the season there, which was half the season, with P- 
playing with Willie Bell and Jed Manning. And then... Then I went to Trafford. Then I went to Woodley. Um, then I went to Australia, played football over there. Then I went to... Came back from Australia, signed for Curzon Ashton. Um, stayed there for quite a while. Went to Ashton United, went to Altrincham, went to Prescott. Um, went to went to Flixton. Then he ended up at Earlham Town as player manager Ryan Gilligan. What was the most money you earned playing football per week? The most money I got paid was at Altrincham. I think I got paid with a goal bonus, two hundred and forty quid. When when I was up front with probably the best player I've ever played with, Colin Little. Colin's now a coach at Manchester United. <coughs> he works with with the young lads. He's well respected as a coach. He was a great lower league goal scorer. He was um, he was a fox in the box. He was the best finisher I've seen. Um, he was quick, he was professional, he was a great crack. He was king of the dressing room when I was at Altrincham for the short time I was there. He was a, he was a streetwise lad. Um, he was well-liked and, yeah, top, top man. You also played up front with Rod Thornley. Rod was the master at Manchester United for, for a long time. Yeah, I mean, me, me and Rod um, never, n- never hit it off. Um, I came in... At a time when Rod was the main, the main, the main centre forward at Altrincham with Colin, um, Graham wanted four centre forwards. You had Marcus Hallows, m- me, Colin Little, and Rod Fawley there um, when they were going for the conference in 2005. And I took Rod's place for a f- few games. I remember a game specifically Bradford Park Avenue away where he seen his arse because I was. I was chosen because the centre half with big lads. Um, yeah, you would never see an eye to eye, me and Rod. How would you describe yourself as a player? Um, good touch, good in the air, scored goals. Um, I think uh, I think I was I was steady scoring 20, 25 goals a season. Um, never, never the the, the fittest. I'd, I'd say I was. I was temperamental, used to see me arse a bit, but gave 100%, got st- stuck in, um, loved playing against the Scousers, um, yeah. Is that accurate? You heard all that, David, yes or no? <laughs> um, who, who, was the, who was the best manager who you played under? Best manager was Gary Lowe, by a mile, um, he signed me three times. Curzon Ashton? For, for, first time he signed me for... for for Woodley, um, when I was in the wilderness, when I left, I left Dave Law at Trafford, and I, I met a bird at the time who lived in Wimslow. So I, was, I just went round Wimslow all the edge, took a, took time off football because because the dad was wedged, knobbed around for a bit, and then Gary Lowe's mate who who saw me playing for Trafford a few months before took a told him about me, and I met him. Um, I actually wore your. Your Italian night tracksuit top to meet him. Um, <coughs> why, him. Why was Gary a good good non-league manager? Because Gary, he Gary helped. Curse and Ashton are a Conference North team, and I know Gary didn't take them quite there, but they shouldn't be where they are. It's yeah. an incredible Lowe, story. Lowe signed me for Woodley. Woodley were 
Woodley was second in the league at the time uh, um, in in January, behind Curzon National who were top. My cousin Paul Mitten was a top scorer for for Curzon National at the time. Um, and Paul had been at United. Paul was in the class of '95. Paul, Paul, Paul was one of the best players I p- played with, along with probably Steve Tobin. Um, so we played with Ash Westwood, Michael Appleton, players great, like that. Great player. Um, and Woodley, I think at the time, was 16 points behind Curzon. Um, I'm not blowing my own trumpet. Came in, scored 24 goals for Woodley in half a season, and we pipped him by one point at the end of the season. Won the league. Lowy took me to Curzon. I stayed at Curzon for four years, moved to the new ground. <clears throat> and he was just... Um, he was the only manager that probably got into my head and knew knew how I worked because I'm, I'm I'm difficult to understand. I think. What was the best goal you scored in your career at your many many clubs? Is the one that best sticks goal out? I scored was winning the league for Woodley against Blackpool Mechanics away. Um, a lad called Peter Carty took a corner um, and I scored a Trevor Sinclair esque. Scissor kick from the 18-yard box straight in the top corner to win Woodley the league. And then you were with uh, Altrincham, they'd been promoted, and then you, you dropped down several <coughs> divisions to play for FC United. What was that first season like playing for FC? I think the average crowd was around 3,000. They, they were playing at Gig Lane. How did you feel as a, as a Manchester United fan about this, this new club which started up? Yeah, I was, I was, I was buzzing at the time. I was at Altrincham. I was probably at the height of my career. Um, I went to, I went to Thailand that that summer. I got a call off JP over there. I got a fucking three hundred pound phone bill as well. Um, recommended Margie as a manager. JP sorted it out. Trials came. FC was great for the first year. I massively underachieved at FC for the first year, um, but. It was probably looking back the best, the best crack I had of a, of a season was at FC United. They're still f- fondly in my heart, um, but I massively underachieved. This, the season after, I felt I had to prove myself. Signed for Flixton, scored thirty-four goals by by Christmas, and got a move to um, Curzon when the when they had the FA Vars run. Yeah, I felt I've got m- m- mixed feelings about FC. I've got um, I didn't I didn't do myself j- justice at football wise. So that's my brother Murphy. We spoke briefly about on the the podcast. He's been very generous, giving up eighteen days of his time to drive us from Barcelona, hopefully to Manchester, if we if we get to Manchester. But we've had we've had um, we've had a couple of good days after a pretty horrific second day. How have you found the trip so far, Murph? And why have you come on this trip? I just like the sound of it. I watched a lot of the lads out when you you know when you, once you proposed it a few months back, it sounded like a really good idea. I've never driven, I've been to France many many times, but I've never driven through it like in the way that this could be. I mean, I've driven from like from Cali to Monaco, but uh, that's on a coach. Rather than an elongated trip like this, is I really, I really fancy the sound of it. So, you're a, you're a lifelong United fan. You're from yeah. Old Trafford. 
Uh, originally from Hume, then uh, I, I now live in Old Trafford. Educated in Hume in almost every way. But yeah, I'm, I now live in Old Trafford. When did you start watching Manchester United? And you, you're one of the few people who lives close enough to walk to the ground. I do walk, yeah, I do. Uh, I, my first match in 1981, uh, I started watching regular in the 82-83 season. Uh, the formative years are the, the years you fall in love with everybody in the team. You, you're heartbroken when, when even the most mediocre player leaves. Uh, they'll be probably my fondest memories of watching United. What's your high point as a Manchester United fan? I mean, I've seen you around at games for years. You've, you've watched United around the world. Yeah. I, I, I don't want to say the obvious. I mean, obviously, I mean, obviously it'd, be, it'd be 1999 in the new camp, but there's, there's, been, there's been a plethora of great moments over the years, like Cantona at, at, uh, at St James's, uh, Cantona against Liverpool at Wembley, winning the Dublin in 1994, the league in 1993. Just, just, it's difficult to say which one's the greatest ever moment. I'd say the best ever night I've ever had at Old Trafford was Barcelona in 1984. How does Manchester United being so close to where you grew up impact on the the local community? Uh, virtually none, really. I mean, virtually everybody, virtually everybody's United fan in both Old Trafford and Hume, right? So, but and obviously the results of uh, people what United. And Hume now, because I spoke to Tyler Blackett and he said that it was more City now. With the greatest respect to Tyler Blackett, he's talking bollocks. <laughs> He's talking absolute bollocks. Forget the respect line. Don't respect him. So. Whatever. I've no beef with Tyler Blackett. I might know of his family, but he's talking shit. He really is. I mean, I mean, there are blues in him. I know some sound good lads, some good good lads in him that are blues. But to say that there's more blues in him than that's just complete pony. I mean, I reckon there's more reds in my side than blues. Never mind fucking him. You're very proud of your sort of Manchester roots, and you've written a lot about. Um, the, the pubs of Manchester. Um, you're quite proud about the pubs of Manchester. You, you seem quite sad that so many of them are closing down. Which which pubs do you most miss? Well, I say all the ones in Chester Road, which went, uh, which have been gradually flattened over the past twenty odd years. Uh, I mean, like the corn, but the Pomona, the corn, you can get a drink in there all night. But it's not just about that. The, 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 I was I saw about this just only before. The, the pubs are like, uh, it really was a social hub. I mean, I, I was I, I learnt far more in in the pubs than I ever did in school. And, and a lot of the, the, these pubs you're talking about, fans yeah. who go to Old Trafford will know them because this is on the main route from Manchester to Old Trafford. Yeah. And I can remember, I spent my first years in Stretford, and on that strip there must have been a dozen pubs in the space of. Yeah, you, you could probably name them all. <laughs> if I thought about it, like they got the Bass Drum and the and the uh, Moulin Rouge. Uh, the El Patio or uh, what's what it I'm called? about in, in Old Trafford yeah. oh, near, the North... near, the near, near the Pomona well the Pomona I'm going to say the Pomona had last stop the Hope which I mean a lot of pubs around there had like an, over, an under 18 policy the Hope had an under 60 policy but a, a lot of the other gaffs it, it, you, 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 could, you could drink any, anywhere around there at a certain age but as long as you behaved yourself and didn't have the twat you were fine and you look, as I said you learnt far more in the pubs than you ever did in school what Pubs, do you most miss about uh, in in Manchester? Because I hear that Tommy Ducks is one that people bemoan a lot. I mean, well, Tommy I, Ducks, I was too young to, to go and drink in it. Well, the Tommy Ducks was flattened overnight in 1993, I think it was. Uh, it was uh, and it was a listed building, and it was a, you know what it was. But I never drank in a Tommy Ducks that often, but it was a, it was a, it was a great pub. But it was uh, it was famous for having women's knickers on the uh, on, on the scene, of course. It was a green on Whitley's house, but 
it was flattened overnight with, with no warning. There's not so many pubs around Old Trafford now where you, compared to before. Well, yeah. I suppose, I don't know, answer me the question. You've got, you've got the Salford ones? Well, yeah, you've got, you got Trafford, for example, which is a real shame at Trafford. It's only ever open on a day of an event. It's never open any other time. Uh, you, saw, you saw the dog and parties and the Trafford, which, could, which coexist amongst each other. Now you've got the Weatherspoons, which just killed all the business around there because they, they basically cut them all up on, on, on the prices and everything else. Uh, and of course, you've got hotel football over the other side of the United's ground. These aren't pubs, are they? These are places where, where a, you can get... It's a bar. It, it, of course it's not a pub, but it's, 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 a, it's, what you, it's what you call a bar nowadays. I can't think of many pubs around there. Like I say, the Trafford's only open on, on, on an events day, beat the cricket or the football. Have you enjoyed this trip so far? <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been a wonderful trip. Uh, I've loved every minute of it, yeah. Every minute? Come on. Yeah. We've all had bad moments. We've all had bad moments. It's, it's, all, part, it's all part of the experience, though, isn't it? Um... I spoke to my brother Jonathan and earlier on and he was at Altrincham and my uncle David was the, the kit man there and he'd also been the kit man at Flixton and he moved to Altrincham and then he moved to Wigan Athletic and whereas we spoke about Sam spinning down because Stockport County spanned down, um, David got a phone call to ask if he'd be the kit man at, at Wigan Athletic and they were in the ascendancy and they would become a... Premier League team. What year did you join Wigan, David? And and how did your move there come about? And is it normal from a, a kit man to go from non-league to what what division were you in? Uh, they were in the Premier League, and I uh, it was two thousand and nine. Uh, Graham Barrow. It was at Altingham with Graham Heathcote, good mate of Graham's, uh, and he bought Roberto Martinez over from Spain originally with the three amigos and um, Graham rang me because Graham was out of work and Graham came to Altrincham just to keep his hand in and uh, he got the phone call off uh, Roberto and he said uh, would you like to come? What's Roberto Martinez like? Absolutely fantastic fella. How would you describe him? Is he intelligent? How very, is he with you? Very thorough. Um, a degree in business studies, fully qualified physiotherapist, sound fella. So you can't, if a player is injured, you can't pull the wool over his eyes because he's a physio. So there you go. I saw you a few times on TV. I remember once at Arsenal away where the Arsenal bench were getting a bit aggressive and you stood up behind Roberto like you were his minder. Is that true? Well, you just... <laughs> You know. Were you muscle for him? Is if he would have gone off, would you have backed your boss up? It's, 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 all, it's all non-league, isn't it? You know, it's like Northern Premier League. And, <laughs> you know, you just have to peel one off, wouldn't you? You just have to do it, wouldn't you? It's like one for all, all for one, isn't it? You know, we're all in it. How does being a, a kit man at Altrincham compare to being the kit man at a Premier League team? What's the difference? No, no, not really. You're just like, you, you, they're like children. You, you, you're your family, you know. Some, you have to treat some like better than others and some, some want... Cheese and wine, mate. Yeah, some want more, some want less. Yeah, when we, when we went away with Altrincham, <laughs> win, lose or draw... We always got a crate of ale on the back seat. But you don't do that with Wigan, surely? No, no, obviously. We can't do that with Roberto. It's like, we're like, 
you so when you're saying somewhat more, somewhat less, it, are these lads having three or four pairs of football boots? Are they saying, can you get me this? Can you can you get me that? Have they got any particular requests? Well, Maguire, to be fair... Is Harry an, Maguire? He's an England international. He came to Wigan on loan and his boots were an absolute bag of shit. And I said to him, you can't go on with them. I said, so I rang the night fella up and said, have you got a pair of, I think it was size 13s, to be fair. I said, have you got a pair of badges for Harry Maguire? I ain't got any boots. So, so, he said, he's Harry Maguire. I said, he's on loan from, I think it was Sheffield Wednesday or Sheffield United. And uh, so he sent him a pair. So I said, Harry, I've got you some boots here. And he went, bloody hell, mate. Thanks very much, mate. You know, and that was it. And the next thing is bloody England International. Jesus Christ. So. Well, you, you seem very popular in that dressing room. I remembered interviewing a, an Ecuadorian player um, years ago for 442, and he, didn't, he wasn't really that bothered about the interview. And when I said that I knew you, he just changed his tune completely. It was that. And, and said, really, do you know him? Prove it to me. I said, he's my godfather. Oh, it is. Um, who was it? The Ecuadorian lad. He was an international. Figueroa. He was Figueroa, Manuel Figueroa. Well, he was he. I've got to be absolutely honest here. He was my favourite. He was top, top, top lad. He gave me two Armani watches, so I can't say fuck all better than that. And do you get that? Do you get players just being generous with you? Because no, you, no. you're a big part of their life, aren't you? Dealing with them every day. You're washing their underpants. You yeah. see things that their wives maybe don't see. Well, I've seen, I've seen a lot of the wives don't see. Don't you worry about that. But having said that, having said that, I mean, I've had some, I've had some players in there like, well, take Victor Moses. He was like, lost this, lost that, lost this. He lost his watch that was worth, I don't know how many thousands of pounds. And then I found it and we were playing away in Old Man and I went, I always go through the dressing room after the game, every every game. And then I opened the locker where um, Victor was getting changed and there's his watch worth. So I gets on the coach and say, Victor, have you, anybody lost a watch? No, no, anybody? No, no, keep it, Dave, keep it. No, I can't keep it. Victor, have you lost yours? He goes, oh, yes, it's mine. <laughs> so, he have it. And these are watches worth... Oh, thousands. Thousands. He's lost thousands. his earrings, his diamond earrings. He went round the radiator. We had to, we literally, in, this is gospel, in Wigan dressing room, we had to take the radiator off to get his diamond earring back. You were, you were a, a Manchester lad. You were a United fan. You were a, yes. you were a former Stratford Ender. Yes. And then suddenly... You play in Manchester United all the time. Most of the times, Wigan Athletic got beat at Old Trafford. But yeah. towards the end of the 2011-2012 season, <coughs> you were one of the major reasons why Manchester United didn't win the league that year. Can you remember that game towards the end of the season? I do, yes. it was. I mean, I think there was a bit of a little run. Was it Liverpool, United? And then we had to beat West Ham. Actually, we beat West Ham and sent West Ham down. That was that was, and to be fair, we were getting beat at half time, and Martinez we get in at half time, and Roberto Martinez said, "Listen, lads, listen to me. You'll win this. You'll win this game if you play like this." But we came out second half and won it. So, so tactically, he'd seen what needed very, changing. Very astute, very astute fella. When you went into a game like that, were you a Man United fan or were you you were well, a Wigan fan? Do you have to be Wigan because you're working for? Uh, 
No. Who did you want to win that day? My claim to fame was we were playing United and I was sat on the bench <laughs> and United scored and I jumped up. Did you? I went up and sit down quick. Did anyone see you? Yeah. <laughs> Not your boss. Well, he was in front of me. <laughs> he, he, knew, he knew you were a, a United so, fan. Oh, big time. But the worst thing, one of the, I think it was Al, Al, Antolin Alcaraz got sent off. So, obviously, you've got to take him down the tunnel yeah. in spite of somebody. And you had to, to as kit man, you had to do that yeah. because Norman yeah. Davis, who who's a friend of our, was a friend it, of our family, great, yeah, he's a great Norman. He was a man who escorted um, Eric Cantona yeah. off the pitch. At, but at you've Sellers got to get Park. two. The thing is, you've got to get two of them because. Because they've been sent off, they get very agitated and they get... Espe- especially especially sa- South American players. and Because he, he got d- sent off for spitting. So I took him down the tunnel and into the dressing room and they're not allowed out. That's the law. You said, you've got to stay in here, you cannot come out. Can't leave the stadium? No, no, but they can't, can't come out of the dressing room. So I came back and somebody else got sent off. But I don't know if I can say this, but I will say, fuck it, but... <laughs> The referee had been up all night with his daughter and didn't get a good night's sleep. So instead of holding his hands up and said, I'm not fit enough to do the job, he turns round and does the job and couldn't keep up with play. And when, when all was said and done, some, some shouldn't have been sent off when they were sent off because there were two sent off in that day. In 2013, Wigan Athletic reached the FA Cup oh, final. Oh, that, 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 that sentence would be unimaginable throughout most of the last 100 years. Wigan were a non-league team up until 1977, I think. When you were on that run towards the final, you obviously had some very good players. D- did you think um, we, something's going for us here, we can win this? We played at Macclesfield and we should have got tated. And it was only a penalty by the centre half, your your Spanish, uh, friend, um, Spanish fella, um, Galabart, Roman yeah, Galabart. Yeah. He and we we should have got beat, and we got a penalty. We won it. I think if your name's on the cup, you'll win it. So we comes back after the game, back in the dressing room. We've scraped it by foul means or whatever. There's no water in the showers. Nothing. No water come out. So all the lads have come off. No water in the showers. Press the showers, nothing. So we all had to just do one. Minging. Back at, we couldn't even get our uh, kit in the, some, the, the reserve. Uh, the substitutes had to get changed after the first team went out. So Moss Rose Macclesfield had no water in the showers? No. No, not in that cup game, no. There's one result from Wigan's cup run which stood out to me. I think you went to Everton away in the sixth round and, and battered them. Fabulous. I was sat next to um, Franco Di Santo. We, we was on loan from Chelsea in the in this in the the dugout, and the dugout at Everton is very very small, and sometimes you have to spill overspill into the crowd, which is horrendous because obviously if a Wigan score and you jump up, the Everton fans are right behind you. So, and then uh, I think it was Matt Manaman, who's an Everton fan. He scored. Callum. Callum, Matt Manaman, fabulous player. Who was the best player you saw at Wigan Athletic? I'd have to say Hugo Rodriguez, centre forward. Okay. Or or maybe Maino, Maino Figueroa, steady. And then you you get to the, the final against Manchester City. 
Yeah. Um, unusual time because, if I'm not mistaken, Pellegrini was still manager. He was sacked. Um, yeah. He was sacked. Yeah. We, we knew he'd already yeah. been sacked. That was the game, wasn't it, when... But the, the he was a dead man walking. But the city fan, uh, but the city um, staff wanted him to get sacked. They hated him. So you going into that game knew that the opposing manager was was going to be sacked. It, yeah, he was. He was already sacked. The, the, well, he hadn't been publicly, but the, no. But we knew. Yeah. We, we knew. But does so, that not give you a huge advantage? Oh, but I think to be for to be fair to Martinez, tactically he had it sorted. Big time. Because City were, had some great players. But Kellermat Manaman was unbelievable on the wing. And then Ben Watson. Uh, there was Roger Espinosa. Um, you know. Watson. Ben, I mean, when, Box, when Ben Watson came on the sub, as a broken, he had a broken leg early on his, in, the, in the season. We never even thought he'd get there. But... But Wembley's a, it's a fantastic stadium to go to. As a kit man, what are the dressing rooms like? Oh, unbelievable. And I've what, never, makes, what makes an unbelievable dressing room? I've never... And what, and what makes a bad one? Macclesfield, because there's no oh, showers. Yeah, but... What, clean, big? Wembley, the, the best dressing room in the Premier League, by far, is Arsenal. Why? Massive. All the facilities, they come in with food, water... After the game, everybody's got an individual uh, locker, the players, and the, the staff are in another room. Off that, but you can get into, all the fi- oh, they've all got individual lockers, st- different showers for the players and the staff, fantastic. What's Old Trafford's dressing rooms like for a visiting team? Absolute piss poor. Really? Yeah. Really? But I, I can understand that, because if you make them worse... Than the home dressing room. Exeter was the same. We we played Exeter in the cup, and it, it was like the old slope on the old stand mm. with 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 whitewashed walls. That's what you have to you have to adapt to what you get. Yeah, but Old Trafford, what you're saying that they don't want to make it um, beautifully no. furnished for visitors. Good good point. Yeah, they don't. No. All right. And I don't. I, can, I, don't, I, don't, I, can, I can I don't understand mind that. that. No, I can understand that. You're not welcome here, basically. No, yeah, basically. Get that's out, what, get battered, yeah. and go home. Yeah. Well, in theory. But it didn't bother me because I'm a United fan, so it didn't bother me you one iota. Yeah, it could be a loser draw for me. It didn't bother me. So uh, what? What are Sandfield City? What their training grounds like? City's on the slope. Sorry, yeah. City's on the slope under the stand. Right. Basically, who's the other one? The Liverpool. Liverpool used to, used to have a sunken bath, but it's illegal to have a sunken bath now. You can't have a sunken bath. And that's for health 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 reasons, isn't it? I'm just so Wigan won the FA Cup. Yes, you got a medal. I did. Is it normal for a kit man to get a medal? It is because I asked Norman Davis. Um, the old uh, Albert Morgan. Albert Morgan at United, and Albert said to me. I rang him because Wigan weren't going to give me one, and Albert uh, Albert said every every kit man gets one, so I'll get into him, Dave. So I asked Mister Whelan, and to be fair to Miss Whelan, if everybody doesn't know, he broke his leg in 1950, whatever it is. So, so I said to him, Mister Whelan, I'm never going to get to a cup final again in my lifetime. 
you know, but I've had a way with Albert, and Albert said the kit man always gets a medal. And he, to be fair, Mr. Whelan, he turned around and said, leave me with me. And then the chief, chief exec called me in one day and said, uh, good point, Jos. I'm sorry. So you, you got the, the medal. Is that your most cherished possession? Oh, football. You've come from long league football. Flixton. Uh, coming up through the leagues with Altrincham, Kitman and all the rest of it. Then you get to Wembley. And we went to Wembley four times. Because you had your playoffs as well. Did you used to speak to the other Kitman? Did you have a relationship yes. oh, with Albert fa- at United? Fabulous. Absolutely fabulous. In fact, I I put a scheme to all the kitmen in the Premier League that the kicking balls, when they warm up, if they came to Wigan, I said, I'll supply all your balls to kick in with and then when I come to Arsenal or Chelsea or wherever, you supply all ours so I don't have to come... So at the end, end, end of the kicking, everybody's going, that's my ball, that's my ball. No, no, so they're all your balls. Did so. you ever lose any piece of key kit from one of your players any boots or anything like that <laughs> I did yeah a pair of boots once I used to check them in regular and double check them and whose boots um, well I'd rather not say okay that. and was that, a, that that's a big no no in your I'll job I'll tell you what who forgot something Albert United mm. Albert he, he forgot his uh, his board his, his um, chalkboard for the dressing room and uh, he said, Have you, Dave, Dave, can you help me out? He'd never give me a shirt, Albert, by the way. He'd never give me a shirt. So. One of the United shirts, yeah. even though you're a United fan. Yeah, but he, he was a great lad, like. He, he always had time for me. He looked after me, to be fair to him. And um, I got him to one, and I said, it'll cost you a shirt. And as he put his hand in the skip at the end of the game, when I went in, he pulled out skulls. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, thanks. How would you describe what you're doing on this trip? Keeping control of children? Yes. <laughs> Two, three, four, so five. So you're, you're, you're on our cases to make sure no, that well, we're, we're, hy- we're hygienic. The thing is, you've got to, you, got to realise what we're here for. We're here for Charlie. Hmm. And to raise the money. To raise a lot of money for, for um, Anne's Hospice. So that's, that's what we've got. Well, you're going to fall out. There's six lads together for 14 18 days or whatever it is but you're going to fall out so you just get to get over it and move on some lads have done fantastic some lads are, I wouldn't have thought who would have made it and they've come through it and don't forget they're doing a lot of miles a day yeah. so what you've got to do is just make sure they're happy yeah. they, they, they get rubs and they get what the food they want and then they're happy you, and you're giving massages out to us which is greatly appreciated you used to run um my dad your brother to the christie hospital yeah for his can- cancer yeah. treatment all of the time i mean he's been gone for uh, six months now do you, do you miss him of course i do in what way the boy <laughs> the bullet continued to give me i used to go around <laughs> you just go around and see him every day he used to be uh he used to want uh uh, a Manchester Evening News and uh, Daily Mail. That's what, that was his. I can't was... believe the most left-wing man in the well, world bought I, the Daily I Mail. Thought, I thought that, but he did. He reckoned he bought it for the sport. I, pu- he... I pulled him a couple of times and said Daily Mail. He said the shorts the Daily Mail, mate. And he went Daily Mail, mate. Daily Mail. 
Manchester Evening News, Daily Mail. So, in the morning, he said, just walk into his house. Go, I've got the, I've got the papers, mate, here. And he got thanks, thanks, mate, thanks, mate. And then I used to take him to Christie's, drive him to Christie's, and he used to go, get your foot off that fucking clutch, mate. So he'd be arguing on the way driving to Christie's for, well, for cancer treatment. Well, he'd argue with two flies fighting, wouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. So, because he was ill, and then... On the way home, we go, you've not fell out with me, mate, have you? I said, have a fuck. Is that what he'd say to you? Yeah. So, he was your uh, eldest brother. Yeah. And he was, he's the first one who, who's passed away. Mm. So, it's... Um... So, we crack on. We've done, we've done five days, and I think we've got 16 to do in total, so... 16? Old Trafford is a long, long way away. We've just had confirmation that former Manchester United legend wants to join us towards the end of the ride so that that was great to hear and you get you get little boosts like that because I find like my own mood just going up and down every single day and I don't this is the first day I've enjoyed to be honest it's hard just the relentless cycling and every time you stop you feel that you feel guilty just stopping for two minutes for three minutes because you feel like you're losing time but We've had a great day today. We've really flown and we had the wind with us and it was dry and it wasn't hilly. It was perfect conditions. And we've got Dave and, and Murph um, motivating us. And we're looking all the time at the, the totaliser going up. We went through £20,000 today. And it's a huge amount of money. It's a huge amount of money. And, and the ambulance is 40,000. Are we going to reach that total? We don't know. We're just going to try our best. And all we can say is that every single penny that gets donated goes towards the ambulance, which is going to serve the community. Um, and, and one of the saddest things about um, my father's um, end-of-life experience is there was not an ambulance for him at one of the hospitals. I'm not even going to name the hospital because... It's not fair on them. They're a great hospital. The NHS is a is a great um, operation. Not that's the right word, but there was wasn't an ambulance for him for seven hours. He had to get a lift home in a car, and this was two or three weeks before he passed away. So, I think if we can we can get this, um, it will not be a bad thing. I hope you you've enjoyed this podcast. I know it's been slightly different, and I do I will do the, the next one. I'll speak more to to John Paul because I think we should do a bit more depth with John Paul because he, he's podcast which he did last year was very well received and just see how we go we're gonna head to towards Bordeaux over the next couple of days and then we're gonna turn and start heading north I pray that the wind and, and the weather isn't too bad for us I think if we've got a fair chance and we've got with the weather we've got a fair chance of, of doing it and we need luck you know we, you see trucks roaring past you all the time and if one of them clips you it's game over um, but I think after five days, we've got to say, um, so far, so so good for this. Um, before we go, I'd love to mention some of the, the, the sponsors who've put um, money into us because we just keep seeing this list of people going longer every single day and can't even mention all of them now, but I will do on, on the other podcasts. Uh, Steve Potter, Ann Matthews, Pitch Marketing, Matt Grogan, Mark Dutton, Paul George and Tom, Mark Griffiths, Graham Cagill, Weekly Plastics, they put £500 in today, huge amount of money. Dan Kirsch, Rick Kindle, Andrew Oliver, Dan Davis, Chetan uh, Ladd, uh, um, Rosine Breen, Brian Pendlebury, River Plate Reds, 
that's the last 24 hours. They've all come in. And I know that some of those people have not got a lot of money to put in and it's just hugely appreciated what they're doing. And thank you all of you. And to the rest of you, And if you've got a spare pound, please contribute. Until the next podcast, goodbye.